This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. We are going to pick up where we left off. We studied verse number 10 and 11 last week. I'm going to pick up uh, at the end of verse number 11 and just go uh, verse by verse through uh, the beginning of verse 14. And uh, the, the takeaway of this series has just been that the battles spiritually are inevitable. They're inevitable. Like you are not going to avoid spiritual warfare, period, full stop. Every person in this room, whether you know it or not, you are in a spiritual battle. But also, not just the battle is inevitable, but it's also victory is possible. Like victory is possible when we uh, are are relying on the provision and protection uh, that's provided by God in his word. And so uh, we we, uh, will read uh, verse number 11. Uh, and uh, verse number 10, of course, says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Uh, but then verse number 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. And uh, those are the devices, the, uh, the, the different plans, the schemes of the devil. And it reminds me of the uh, passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse number 8, when it says, lest Satan should get an advantage of you, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd use this. May you help us not to be ignorant of the plans and the schemes that Satan has to attack us spiritually. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when it says that we should not be ignorant of the devices of Satan, it is not talking about electronic device. Now, believe it or not, this is electronic device, and um, it's a device that I grew up with, okay? Inside this little slot here, for those of you that don't know, uh, one of these things get put in here. It's uh, called a cassette tape, right? You just put it in there, and you actually have to press the buttons. They're manual buttons. And, and then uh, when I became a teenager, uh, they came out with these things called CD-ROMs, right? Um, and I know I'm a dinosaur, okay? But you put them in there, and I used to have a Walkman that you could walk around with. It had batteries, but you just couldn't walk too, too heavily. Otherwise, you would skip, you know? You know what I mean? So you had to be really gentle when you're walking with that. Uh, but this is a device, and uh, this is a device that many would say is outdated. Uh, another device that might be outdated uh, would be the VHS, uh, the VHS player. Uh, you know, you, you, you had the, uh, the tape, you got to put it in the right way, and ever so often, uh, the, 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 it would start smoking and it would start eating the tape, right? Uh, and uh, you'd have to take it out and you have to take it and roll it back up, right? Um, and so these are all antiquated things. Another thing that I grew up with uh, was a rotary phone, okay? Rotary phone, you had, you had to wait, right? You had, 
if, if, you're, if you're dialing a nine, right, you'll go all the way around and just wait, 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 and then you got to dial the next one. And then we upgraded uh, to this phone with buttons. And it was not just a phone with buttons, but it was a phone lot like this, and it had a very long cord. And we love the long cord because you could wrap the cord around anywhere in your house and shut the door, okay? That was uh, the closest thing we had uh, to a cell phone. And then the beepers, and then the, the rest is history, right? Um, so why don't we use these antiquated devices? Because there were new devices that came out. And when it says, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices, it's not talking about electronic devices. It's talking about, don't be ignorant of the plans and the schemes, or the wiles, as we studied last week, of Satan. He has not gotten updated devices. He does not have new technology for temptation. He's using the same tricks, the same devious, wild uh, tricks, trickery and temptations that he was using in the Garden of Eden. So there's no reason for us not to be wise against the evils of the devil. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. Every week, we're going to start with a question. Last week, we are taking inventory to see if we're battle ready. And last week, we asked the question, are we ready to surrender? And that's a great question to ask ourselves. But this week, I want to ask, are we ready for temptation? Are we ready for the temptations that will, not if, but that will come our way today and this week? And I think it's really important to, to sit back and ask ourselves, are we ready? And if we're going to be ready, we need to have a battle plan. Everyone say battle plan. Now, the battle plan given to us in Ephesians chapter 6 is twofold. It's to stand up and it's to gear up. Stand up and gear up. Let's say that together. Stand up and gear up. And those are straight from the text here. And I want you to see, number one, to stand up. And, and really, it's telling us to stand up to the tempter. Stand up to the tempter. That's number one. Now, we did not study the word stand last week in verse number uh, 11 when it says that uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Um, but I want to I talk about it now because it's histamine. It's, it means to take a firm stance, to have a strong position, to know why you're at a post and to establish your footing, uh, to maintain that position uh, and, and to not give any ground. And so it says to stand against these wiles of the devil, these temptations. Now, if you've read the, the book of Ephesians, which I would encourage you to do, the first five books, it mentions one word over and over again. It's the word walk. In fact, eight different times in the first five chapters, the Holy Spirit uh, inspired Paul to write down this word walk. Uh, walk is children of the light. A walk as followers of God, and we are supposed to walk, walk in the Spirit, right? So walk circumspectly. So he, he mentions all of these times, walk, walk, walk. And then when we get to chapter 6, it doesn't mention walk, it mentions stand four different times. So now it's painting this picture to say you're walking, you're gaining ground, but then you're met with someone or something that no longer can you press forward and, and, and the victory is found when you do battle and you're standing your ground. Now, 
The tempter can tempt us all he wants. But last week we saw that it's the power of God that gives us victory over the temptation. So what is that power? We talked a lot about it last week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you not just the power of God that gives us the victory, but the wisdom of God. Now, our church and the modern day church mirrors in many ways the church at Corinth. And I want to read you uh, a specific passage of scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, <clears throat> because um, there's, there's a scripture uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 1 that talks about where he was deriving the power, the strength from, where, where he wanted the church to derive strength from in moments of weakness. Now look at verse number 1. It says, Brethren, I came not to you with excellency of speech and of wisdom, de- but declaring unto you the testimony of God. He's saying, listen, I didn't come to you uh, really with a really well thought out talk. I wasn't, I wasn't coming to you with a brilliant plan of my own. I was just telling you the testimony that God had given to me. That's the powerful, most powerful thing you have is your testimony. Verse 2 says, for I determined not to know anything or for you to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So why was that so important that that was the one thing he wanted them to know? Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness. Now look up here because we have been with each other in weakness. The last year and a year and a half, many of you in this room and watching online even right now, we have, we have some who are in a moment of weakness. And, and, and some have been sick and some have gone through trials and some have lost loved ones and, and, and even our church. We've been, I, I joke, we, we've been the treasure chest church, right? If you can find us, you can come, right? So, so we've bounced around, we've had some trials, we've had some difficulties, we've had some setbacks. But I will tell you something, in weakness, he can make us strong. And I want you to see what he says about in weakness. Together, they were in weakness. Look at verse number three. In weakness and in fear and in much trembling, my speech and my preaching was not enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Wow. He's saying, listen, I didn't tell you what you wanted to hear in a moment of weakness. I wanted to, but I didn't. I didn't tell you what what pop psychology was trying to get you to, to, to feel. I was telling you, what the Spirit of God wanted you to hear from the truth. Isn't that great? And what does that do? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Look at verse number five. That your faith should not stand, there's the key word, stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What a passage. What an amazing passage about standing up to the tempter to the evil one in an evil day, in a day of weakness, in a day of trials, in a day of fear, in a day of temptation. And so we see here that Paul is is writing to this church, this church at Ephesus, and he is writing specifically about the weakness. And he's saying, listen, the tempter knows your weakness, and God knows your weakness, But God, in your moment of weakness, can give you strength. Did you know that God is more attracted to your weakness than he is your strength? Did you know that in a moment of weakness, God can use you because you know you need him? Did you know it is the broken pieces of your heart and your life that God wants to invade? 
Did you know the very area that you're ashamed of is the very area that God wants to deal? He wants to deal with and he wants to actually transform. And if we would, if we would realize that those broken areas, those moments in our life that are difficult for us to even talk about, God wants to engage, it would transform us from the inside out. It would transform the way we look at spiritual warfare. And so when he says, take a stand, he's saying, stand letter A, stand up for people who are weak. Stand up for those who are weak. Well, where do we see that? And in, in, in looking back now in, in Ephesians chapter six and verse number 12, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, what, what do you mean weakness? What do you, what do you mean we're, 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 we're not wrestling against we, why, why, why weak? Why do we need to stand up for weak people? Why, why can't we just tell them to get stronger? <laughs> and I have lots of people who ask me that. They're so weak. Why can't they be stronger? And the reality is we're all weak. We are all flesh and blood. The word flesh is the word sarks. It literally means weakness. It was the word they would use for weakness. It's the existence of weakness. It literally means a frail body. That's flesh. Blood is, is used in the Bible for life. There's, the life is in the blood. So it's, it's, it's without blood, you don't have life, right? So, so you put those together. We are not flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against the flesh and blood, against the people around us. And so therefore he's saying, listen, don't be fighting with the person next to you because they're not the enemy. They are not the ones to be fighting with. You are fighting an invisible enemy. Now, this is a key thought, and I think it's really important for us to understand this because Satan wants you to think that the people around you are the problem. And the people around you are not the problem. They are not. They are never the problem. And by the way, there's nothing in this world that's the solution. <laughs> and that's kind of depressing until you realize that Jesus is the solution uh, for all of our greatest problems. And when Jesus said that he came to fix life's greatest problems, he was not saying that he was going to fix the, uh, the political problems of the day because he was not. He, he, he actually transcended all of that. Rome was still a problem even after Jesus died and rose again from the dead. He was not uh, fixing their, uh, their educational problems. They still had an educational problem even after he was dead and gone in the Holy Spirit and the church was started. He was not fixing their financial problems. He was fixing their spiritual problems because the greatest problem in our world today is sin, Satan, and Satan's system called the world's ideological perspective. And those are the big problems. Now in counseling, uh, and I forget what author said this, but the problem is rare, the problem stated is rarely the problem, right? There's always something, there's a, there's, there's a sin root problem, there's a selfishness, there's something that, that, that God's wanting to get to the root of today. And grace is that solution that gets to the root of the problem. Now, we don't have time, but, but in, in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14 through 18, it talks about how God sent Jesus to overcome the power of Satan, to literally win the battle against Satan, so that in verse 18, he can help, it's the word secure, but it's the word for help, those that are tempted. So I don't know about you, but I get tempted, and you get tempted. And if we're all honest, those temptations are incessant. 
And temptation is not just temptation for sin, but it's also a difficulty. It's a moment of difficulty. And so that temptation will come. But Jesus has come to give us help to overcome temptation. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the rub. Here's the problem. Many times, I would rather spend my time f- trying to, quote-unquote, fix my sin problem or, quote-unquote, overcome my besetting sin rather than focusing my attention on becoming more like Jesus. See, Satan doesn't have to get you to love darkness. He just has to confuse darkness and light. Satan doesn't have to get you uh, to, to, to do demonic things. All he has to do is to get you to pull away from your number one pursuit. And the greatest pursuit in life is to become more like Jesus. So let's spend our time becoming more like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus brought strength, the strength that he did have, he brought it to those who were weak. In our lives, we can do one or two things. We can brag about our strength, subconsciously or or consciously. We can brag about our strength, or we can recognize our weakness and understand that someone else is weak near us and that God wants to give us strength not so that we can act strong, but so that we can be strong for someone else and tell them it's not our own strength. That's the secret to serving in an empowered way. So stand up for those who are weak. And there's lots of verses in the Bible about about helping the weaker. But then letter B, I want you to see this. We need to stand against the powers of wickedness. Now, we studied this last Sunday night, but I want to give you just a brief overview of what we studied on Sunday night. Because in verse number 12, it says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight is not with people. Our fight is against principalities. The word principalities is arcos. It literally means a, a leader of the demonic realm. Uh, someone who's been thrown out of heaven and has some power, but, but an elder, if you will, in the demonic realm. That's a principality. Powers is, excuse me, it's the word for demons. It's, it's, it's demonic, the demonic um, people, the, the, the demonic angels who were thrown out of heaven with the principalities. Uh, and then it says against rulers of darkness. Uh, this is the word cosmos kratos. It literally means a cosmic power that's driving people into darkness, d- doing everything they can to mute the light, to, to distort the truth. Then it says spiritual wickedness in high places. So this spiritual wickedness is pornea, it means malice and destruction. And high places is the word for the air from the atmosphere to just above the mountains. This is the headquarters of evil. And, and from that upper realm, they are literally barraging us with spiritual attacks every single day. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and, and you're thinking, whoa, <laughs> like, 
that scares me. Like, that's crazy. There's no way that's true. Like, you lost me at demon, right? I want you to know that all of us can live our lives denying the existence, but there will come a point in time in everyone's life where you will encounter this. It's inevitable that you will encounter a spiritual resistance to your faith. Now, for those of you that have never trusted Jesus Christ uh, as your Lord and Savior, your enemy is not Satan. Your enemy is not his system. Your enemy is not uh, the, the, the sin in the world or the evil in you. No, your enemy is God. And so we're either wrestling against God as fugitives of grace, or we are wrestling with God's power against the evil forces that are, are in the world because of death, sin, and the fall of man. And so it's, it's interesting that the word wrestle is used. The word wrestle is, it, it would have been a, a word that would have popped up in everyone's head, like if I say basketball. If I say basketball, everyone in here realizes there's a hoop, there's a ball. You might not know all the rules, but you know that it's a sport. You know that it's a worldwide sport, that it's a growing sport. You know the basic premise is to get the ball in the hoop. When he uses this word, Pele, it would have it just sparked in their mind the most popular sport in the world at that point. And it was the word for for, for wrestling, but it was wrestling on steroids. It would have made MMA look like child's play. They would, uh, it was normally um, right uh, outside of the gym. Um, they would have uh, gone into uh, these, these um, uh, palestra, uh, which was a, a, an arena where these, these wrestling matches would take place. They, no one was, uh, everyone was forbidden from wearing clothing inside the arena. It was a, a vile and it was a really, really deadly place. You fought to the death. Not only that, they would box with these leather gloves on their hands with spikes and nails and glass protruding. They literally were fighting, trying to maim and kill one another. So this was not a normal wrestling match with spandex. This was a brutal Roman and Greek sport. And he said, we wrestle against these powers. We wrestle against these opponents. We wrestle against these, this spiritual wickedness. It is what we are struggling with every moment of our day. But look at this. In 1 John 4, in verse number 1, it says, you are of God. You are not of those wicked forces. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who? The spiritual forces of evil. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, uh, Satan might be big. He might have a great army, but he is not all powerful. The enemy knows that, that there is a great source for strength and that he is trying to distract you and delay you from the victory that is already ours in Jesus Christ. And so the weapons, weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Paul said to the church at Corinth, but are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. And when we cast down imaginations in every high thing, remember wicked, wicked forces in high places, 
every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. That certainly uh, was what was happening to Satan. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so it is, it is our heart here at New Life that we would live a life of victory in the power of Jesus Christ. But we cannot be ignorant to the forces against the forces of evil against us every single day. Now, one of my favorite authors is uh, C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis wrote many books, and I would encourage you to read every single one of them. There are a couple that I I would encourage you. There's one on grief that's really heavy, and I would really encourage you to to, to warm up to that one, okay? But, But there's a book called Screwtape Letters, and it's this whole premise of... If Satan was trying to destroy you, here's what his playbook would be. And uh, I've read it a couple times, but I read it recently in, the, in studying for the series. And, and uh, it's a, a screw tape is, is a principality, right? He's a, he's a leader in, in Satan's army. And he's training this, this excusia, this, this uh, lower power, this demon. Uh, and he's training him on how to deceive, how to dupe Christians. And so there are these conversations, these hypothetical conversations that C.S. Lewis is is really painting, and it's really remarkable. And this is one of them that was put to sketch form. I want you to see it. Well, it seems as if you suppose that argument is the best way to keep him out of the enemy's clutches. Isn't it? (laughs) Oh, I suppose it might have worked if he'd lived a few centuries ago. At that time, humans still knew pretty well when a thing was proved and when it was not. And if it was proved, they really believed it. Uh Yes, yes, they still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their way of life as a result of a chain of reasoning. But what with the weekly press and other such weapons, we have largely altered that. Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. Yes, he doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical or outworn or contemporary or conventional or ruthless. Jargon, my boy. Not argument is your best ally in keeping him from the church. I see. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true. (laughs) Make him think that it is strong or stark or courageous. That's the sort of thing he cares about. Oh, uh, right. The trouble with argument is that it moves the whole struggle onto the enemy's own ground. He can argue too, whereas in really practical propaganda of the kind I am suggesting, he has been shown for centuries to be greatly the inferior of our father below. So, I mean, that's a little creepy, admittedly, but it's, it, you get the picture, the fact that C.S. Lewis found it very helpful to sit down and think, how is Satan trying to keep me from the victory that has already been promised me in Jesus Christ? And I will tell you, since the first time I read that book a few years ago, I have often thought, how is Satan trying to gun for my marriage? How is Satan trying to destroy the minds of my boys? How is Satan trying to get into our church? And how is he trying to mess with my mind? How is he trying to get me to believe doubts? And how is he trying to get me to latch on to fears and what ifs? And, and, and what is Satan trying to do to derail you, to distract you? 
And so here's an action item. I would encourage you to meditate. Hey, listen, if, if, if you were Satan, what would you try to do to ruin your Christian life, to ruin your belief in God and, and your strength in your relationships? I think it's important for us to, to prevent, prevent the, the opening of, of ourselves to the realm of Satan by saying, where are the areas that I have given place to the devil? And so we need to stand up against the tempter. Number two, I want you to see, we need to gear up for temptation. We need to gear up for temptation. Uh, I chose this word gear up because we are literally the next seven weeks going to put gear on. I'm going to bring gear in here and I'm going to show you the different gear, the, the, the helmet of salvation that, that deals with our thoughts. That's next week. And we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. I already talked about that, the vest uh, that, that, that we're in the righteousness of, of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be talking about the feet that are, that are shot with the preparation of gospel and peace and the fact that our boots matter, man. Combat boots matter. We're going to talk about the wielding the sword of the spirit and how that's so important, the belt of truth and, and how it holds everything together and, 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 and all on and on. We're going to talk but the prayer is the vehicle for victory and all of that. But, but we need to gear up for the temptation that is coming our way. The word, when it says, take unto you the whole armor of God, it's, a, it's actually a compound word. It's on a lambano. It, it literally means to take up again and again. And this is why I've said from the very beginning of starting new life that I believe every single day we should take on the armor of God. That every single morning we should say, God, I'm taking on the armor of God. I, I, I do not uh, believe that it is my own flesh that carries any power and I need your protection, your power. I believe that every morning that's one of the most important things we could do is to put on, to take on, to gear up the whole armor of God. But what does this look like in our everyday lives? Well, letter A, I want you to see it. It looks like this, to gear up against compromise. You say, where is that in verse 13? Because we've done verse 10, 11, and 12, but verse 13, it says, uh, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, Satan's fine if you leave a piece of it at home. If you, if you just uh, accept some of your doubts. If, if, if you're able to just uh, accept a little lie that culture's telling you, if, if you bow down a knee to just an area of culture, if, you, if, if you're just willing to just just compromise a little. We're living in a day of full of compromise. And so he says, listen, you want to take on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand. Everyone say withstand. That's such an important word. It's actually where we get the, the, the Greek word for this is where we get the word antihistamine. It, it, it is antihistamine. It literally means to fight against. Uh, to, to resist with passion, to outweigh opposition, to overcome. But when we think of antihistamine, we think of this medication, Benadryl, right? Because when you're allergic to something, you, know, you eat, you know, if you're allergic to peanuts or you get stung by a bee or whatever you're allergic to, okay? Um, so, you know, uh, I, I will tell you, you better take some of this or something like it very soon. Because you'll start swelling up. And how stupid would you have to be if your eyes are swelling shut and your, 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 you know, your windpipe, you're, you're, you're gasping for air and someone's like trying to hand you Benadryl and you're like, I'm good. But that's what we do spiritually. 
Spiritually, we, we compromise and we're literally giving Satan what we are allergic to. We're literally handing him what will kill us spiritually. And to stand is to, and to withstand is to say, no, I am going to take preventatively what I know I need to be able to live victoriously in my Christian life. And so what, what are we talking about? How, does, how do we withstand? How do we have forward action when we're standing? We're not walking, we're standing, but we're not losing ground. We're forward, we're forward focused. We're, we're fighting against. We're withstanding what he is bringing our way. How do we do this? Well, l- look at this action. I would encourage you to list, make a list of all of the things that you're doing to stand for the kingdom of God and, and therefore against the kingdom of evil. And so it's very simple. What have you done this last week that are, that's put into the eternal kingdom of God? Who did you serve? What, did, what, how much, what, what a portion of your week was wrapped up in fighting for and with the kingdom of God? And so we, we, we have to withstand because there's an evil day. And the, evil, the word evil day literally means a, a moment of difficulty and, and, and toil, a period of crime and, and envy. I thought this was interesting. A malignant season of sickness and sorrow. It's kind of what we're in right now. A discouraging and distressing day. And can I tell you that when you're in a discouraging and distressing day, the one thing you shouldn't do is give up. The one thing you shouldn't do is let up. The one thing you shouldn't do is shut up. The one thing you should do is stand up, to gear up, to, to get ready for battle because that is the moment to stand. That is the moment to say, I am an overcomer. There will be tribulation in the world, Jesus said in John 16, 33. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Battles and burdens and temptations, they just remind us to, to, to rely on the overcomer, the one who's overcome evil. And here's a key thought, and it is this. The most vulnerable place in our lives are the areas where we think we're the strongest because that's often, it leaves one area of weakness that the devil can exploit. Let me illustrate it using a, a, a common meme. This man is wearing armor. Many of you know where I'm going with this. He, is, he has put what looks like a full amount of armor on. But there's one piece of armor missing. And, and Satan knows what piece is missing. And that one piece allows an opening for an arrow. Someone tell me what the one piece that could have prevented this. The shield of faith. The shield of faith is what keeps you from the fiery darts of the devil that we'll study in weeks to come. So it is the whole armor of God and it is withstanding in the evil day, during an evil time. This reminded me of the verse in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 12, it's on your screen. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You can, you can think that you're doing really, really well, but Satan knows just how to get in, just what the weaknesses are, just what the vulnerabilities are. There's no temptation taking you, which such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. You may be able to bear it. Listen, God will always give you an escape hatch from temptation. The reality is many times we don't take the escape route of temptation because we want what temptation is offering. And so we have to stand and gear up 
against the evil day, against the moment of compromise. But then letter B and finally, and we're finished, and that is gear up for courage and strength. Gear up for courage and strength. He says, I want you to withstand in the evil day. And then he says this, having done all to stand. This word done all is katergazomai. It means to work out a plan to the completion. It was what they would use. They would use this term to talk about a, uh, a, an event or a banquet that had been planned but had not yet taken place. It was something that was going to happen, but it hadn't happened yet. And so he's saying, listen, you're not finished yet. There's courage and strength coming for the finishing of the calling that God has given you. You can accomplish what has been committed to you. And I love this. It also means to be carried by a promise. I I can't always see with full perspective what God is doing and why he's doing it, but I can tell you this, that I'm always carried by a promise to do everything I can while I can to produce by just going with and trusting his process. In the battle, there will be moments where we feel like we're all alone. In the battle, there will be moments where we feel like victory is not possible. But I'm here to tell you, based on the promise of God, Victory is always possible. To illustrate this, I want to use an illustration from 1918. It was October 8th, and many of you have studied in in World War I history um, the the story about Sergeant Sergeant Alvin York. And uh, Alvin York was a young man, grew up in the hills of Tennessee, hunting, fishing, uh, just an outdoorsman, and he didn't want to fight. He was a devout Christian, and in fact, on his draft paper, he actually put, I do not want to fight. I would rather win the Germans rather than kill them. But he was selected for the draft, and so call, th- his duty was called, and he decided to go and fight in the war. And he was actually a lot lower than a sergeant when he went into battle, and there was one particular battle where they were outflanked. Uh, on the sides, there were, there were dozens of machine guns all around them, and, and, and he found all the soldiers around him starting to die, and, and he kept calling out and trying to act like he was multiple soldiers, but he just kept shooting, and he kept calling out, uh, surrender or die, surrender or die, surrender or die, and finally he heard this from the German soldiers. With his growing losses, the German lieutenant commanding the unit called out in English to York, offering their surrender. York accepted. As a memorial in the French village of Chatel Chary, states, armed with a rifle and pistol, he silenced a German battalion of 35 machine guns, killed 25 enemy soldiers, and captured 132. Unlike Freddie Stowers, Alvin York had the good fortune to survive his Medal of Honor action. He was quickly promoted to sergeant and given the Distinguished Service Cross for his actions. Months later, the commanding general of the American forces, General Pershing, presented him with the Medal of Honor. You might think you're alone. You might think no one's watching. You might think you're fighting a battle that no one cares about. But let me read to you what God says to us in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 27. He says, Why sayest thou, 
O Jacob, speaketh, O Israel. My way is hid from the Lord. My judgment is passed over from my God. He's saying, why are you, why are you thinking that you're living in a day or an hour or through a difficulty that no one else has lived through or no one else understands? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Friends, we can stand up to the tempter and overcome temptation through the power provided through the protection of God's plan. That was the takeaway. Let's say it again. We can stand up to the tempter and overcome temptation through the power provided through the protection of God's plan. God's plan is perfect. His battle plan is to stand up, not in your own might, but in his might, and to gear up with the whole armor of God. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.